And personally, I like meeting people a lot because I believe the more you meet people, the more ideas you exchange, the more point of views you hear, and you're able to even consolidate the idea that you have in your head even more. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. All right, guys, I got to give another shout out to a quick sponsor of the show, Chili Piper. Did you guys know that 60% of inbound leads don't convert to a meeting? And that you can double your inbound conversions by eliminating the waiting period between the form fill and the meeting? And so with Chili Piper, you can turn those leads into meetings instantly with intelligent rules that auto-qualify and route leads in real time. Also, you never let leads fall through the crack because they have a two-way sync with your CRM which just helps also give you clean attribution on those leads at the end of the day. So with Chili Piper, you have no more leaky funnel. Instead, you've got more leads, more meetings, and more pipeline. Start turning leads into meetings today with Chili Piper. Visit chilipiper.com leaders to learn more. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. I'm here for another exciting episode. Really excited to talk to Harshit Jain. He is the founder and CEO of Dakar, and I just learned how to pronounce this, and I think it's a beautiful word. So, Harsha, give your story of that and the company. I'd love to to get started with you for uh, the audience who doesn't know you yet. Okay, thanks, thanks, David, for inviting me to the session. So, my my story, right? And I believe I I think I'm a storyteller, come from the advertising background, but if I go a little back, I actually started my journey as a physician. I'm a trained physician who is still licensed to practice internal medicine. But the last I practiced was probably 15 years ago uh, at Northwestern. And that's when I decided I want to quit medicine and start looking at a broader population instead of people. So it's the application of medicine for a larger purpose. It was a thought, didn't know what will I do, but still I managed to quit and took the decision was part of two startups first was in the big data and and technology space in the north american market second was in the healthcare communication space in the asian market did well ultimately both the companies got sold managed to make a little money and then i still don't know why but i moved to advertising and worked with one of the large advertising networks mccann in uh, three continents in different global leadership roles. Started with the MD for India business, then led the marketing for Asia Pacific group, then decided to relocate to UK to lead growth for the European business, then another relocation, full circle, uh, relocated to New York to lead the digital data and innovation for McCann Health North America. So quite an eventful journey of seven years, uh, staying in three different cities across three continents, traveled across the globe, worked with majority of big pharma, 
did some amazing work, which won all possible awards that exist in advertising, and then decided to quit to solve one of the unsolved problems of pharmaceutical marketing, which is how to engage with physicians on digital in a measurable and a transparent manner. And hence, Docare was born. Well, it's, it's a great step. And first of all, I love, I love the entrepreneurial I quit <laughs> because I think that, that if I have found a common theme in my own journey and in you know many founders, uh, the doors don't open maybe automatically for you and you find that it does take that uh, sort of I quit to move on and make this space mentally and, you know, it's sort of physically in your calendar to do the next thing, whether or not you made a little bit of money from the, the previous one, you know, you have to have that ability to kind of step out, out the door and stop getting paid in order to uh, imagine the future of getting paid. So I love difficult that. Difficult decision. It, oh, that's yeah. a really difficult decision. Not getting paid, leaving the luxuries and moving back to a startup life from your cushy job. <laughs> right, right, right. Even if it's not cushy, right? Even if it's sort of like, <laughs> I hate my job, but you, you still get paid. And I, you know, I, I definitely encourage people to think carefully about that move. And uh, I don't know if you did any sort of side hustling or sort of thinking about these businesses and your, you know, your early research stage and uh, networking and, you know, customer discovery, things like that, maybe while you were still, you know, on, on the clock, you're, you're nodding. So I, I guess that's true. So. Yeah, would have been very difficult if I hadn't done that earlier. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I had some, I had some jobs where I, you know, on the side was uh, sort of formulating my next uh, attack plan as well. So I, I'm sure that resonates well. So go back to the storytelling and the problem you're solving, and the, you know, it's like the genesis of how you, you know, sort of identified this. It's really niche and, and interesting space that, that you guys work in. See, when I was uh, in my previous job, right, that's an agency, a creative agency that partners very closely with the pharmaceutical and consumer healthcare brands, helps them develop brand promotion strategies and the helps in implementing that as well, right? So while being on that side, I realized two big things. First is... Uh, digital is is a requirement by most brands, but agencies don't have a solution. Right? Like the agencies have a solution on the consumer side of the business, how to engage with consumers on the digital, but on the physician side, there is no answer. Right? And, and I used to uh, look at it as a black box. You put dollars in, take a report out. What happens in between, no one knows. Right? And, and because of this black box nature of this entire category, marketeers also started to looking at it as a checkbox activity. Just to show that they're progressive and they're spending on digital, they would invest without expecting any outcome from this entire activity. But pandemic exposed it all. Right? When Salesforce were grounded, events were canceled, marketeers had to depend on digital. It was the only way left to reach out to physicians. Right? And then now they have started expecting something from this digital media from the investment. So in the last 12 months, we have seen the investments have grown significantly. Brand uh, teams have become comfortable in using this, this media. 
and they are now getting returns, right? So the medium has, has evolved and we believe we have contributed a little bit in the evolution of that thinking, in the reduction of those barriers and in the adoption of this new technology. From a business perspective, you have uh, one of these sort of complex models where you, you depend on different third parties to pull this sort of constellation together. You're going to have the agency, you're going to have the, you know, effectively the physician, you know, there's different people there. How do you think about that? Because you need to develop a sort of a multi-prong approach. The message is different for each of those. The approach vector is different. These are complicated businesses where you have a bunch of different stakeholder groups that all need to behave and change their, maybe change their behavior and evolve with you, with the, the platform. And I don't think that's uh, limited to the healthcare space. So I think that lesson is is really important from a business development and, you know, sort of scale perspective. I'd love if you talk about that. Yeah, no, that's right. See, unlike a product company, which essentially has a single stakeholder to whom the product is relevant, like we call ourselves as a B2B organization, which have two stakeholders on both sides and both sides are businesses. I'll give you an analogy where consumer businesses, which have two stakeholders, right? And most of the companies which have two stakeholders are multi-billion dollar companies. Think of Airbnb, right? So we have people who give their houses on rent, right? Who adds on to the supply. And we have people like us who wants those villas, those beach houses on rent, right? The demand side. And Airbnb need to communicate to both of them separately with completely different key messages, right? On the same platform. Another example, Uber, exactly the same thing. They need drivers and they need people who can drive the cars, right? So that they can improve the mobility and get people to move across, right? Again, they need to communicate to two stakeholders. Likewise, we also have two stakeholders. One is on the supply side, which are platforms or apps or, uh, or web uh, apps, which are visited by doctors where physicians engage, right? And on the other hand, we have buyers like the pharmaceutical organizations or hospitals or consumer healthcare organizations who wants to engage with physicians. As a platform, we sit in the middle to connect both of them together in the most regulatory compliant manner. And how do you think about it then? So the, you're the platform in the middle, you're the connective tissue. I like how you have taken many different types of constituents on either side, because there are different types, but you, you, you have figured out how to make that into a buyer and a seller dual-sided marketplace. And that's not always easy to do because you have to compress all the buyer personas or at least align all the buyer personas and then all the supplier personas. You have a language barrier. You have a communication thing that you need to get people to kind of agree to in the middle. You know, the, the, the idea of a dual-sided marketplace is one of the most fantastic business models uh, out there. And it's the hardest to do because you need to effectively, you know, sort of subsidize the development of the supply side before anybody bothers to come over and take a look. So what was the path to do that? 
Yeah, I think that's 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 exactly right. I think that demand and supply, it's always swinging on either side, and the business is only stable when it is balanced, which is which is very hard to achieve. Right, it keeps swinging on either sides. I think the way we have been going is is by doing real partnerships, by aligning the right expectations with the partners, right? Making them understand how we're trying to solve their problem, but we are still a young, active, growing organization, right? Because we didn't want it to go the route uh, of committing upfront on the supply side and buying upfront, and then end up in a situation where we aren't able to sell, right? And then losing the monies and then landing in debt, right? We didn't want it to land ourselves in that situation. We know that demand is huge. Still, we don't want to go and overcome it. I think the the only uh, as a sensible or balanced thing we did to manage this this fine balance is uh, by being honest and truthful with our partners and setting the right expectations because everyone understands. And the space where we are coming from, we are the first one in the category. There is no one else that exists, right? And at least the kind of business plan we can help them visualize, they believe in the idea. And when you have someone who really believes in the idea, you get full support. Obviously, there are exceptions to this rule, right? There are exceptions to this because there are all different types of people. There are always exceptions to the rule. Yeah, More often than not, we discover them in, in startups. And I wonder, how did you get the wheel turning at the beginning there? I'm guessing it maybe had something to do with your your contact network in the space, those initial partnership relationships. I mean, the hardest thing right there at the beginning is always getting those initial anchor, either partners or clients that make the thing go. And I, I think that's the hardest part, you know, for getting started is that initial partnership or client momentum. I'd love if you had advice about, you know, how you did that coming out of, you know, your experience in sort of two different industries. I know that what you've done here is the the confluence of those two experiences. You worked in advertising and in medicine. That's pretty rare. So it makes sense that you would have a viewpoint between those things. How did you bring along people from your past for, for your team, for your partners, just to get that initial momentum? I think my past uh, experience uh, really helped me a lot in kind of shaping this business model and getting the right partners on board, those early adopters who believe in the idea, who believe in the power of an idea, and they're willing to bet their monies on something new. And uh, definitely, I think the the prior relationships with different types of partners, both on the supply and demand side, helped, but it just helped in opening the doors. Once the doors are open, it's the strength of the product and the conviction of the team with which they can sell. And I think uh, uh, the product, uh, the created by our product and engineering time team really helped. And the team, which I think that I would take to my credit, which I onboarded the team, they had the conviction to sell and convince not just the early adopters, but people who are sitting on the borderline waiting for someone else to try so that they can then come in to convince, right? We're currently present in two markets, India and in US. India, we are already the market leaders working with almost all the top 10 pharma manufacturers in the country. And in US, we are growing at a very fast pace. 
And now looking at expanding into the third market next month. And what is that third market? Uh, Europe. Europe. Okay. So, I mean, so, I, tell a little bit about those stories, the difference in the, the cultures and doing business across different international markets. I I know that a lot of startups aspire there. When you first leap that international sort of chasm there, what are some tips that you might tell people be aware of the, before you start thinking about being an international business? It's it's extremely challenging, not easy. And as a startup, we decided to launch in two markets at the same time, which could, could be considered kind of suicidal by, by a lot of people, right? Like, how could you do that? Do you have enough funds? How would you get the bandwidth? Like, how would you do it, right? But uh, our thought was, I wanted to launch in two markets, which I felt is the representative of the world, entire world, right? Uh, pharma is a regulated category, right? And I divide the world into two parts. First part includes US and New Zealand, and second part includes rest of the world. So the first part is unique uh, because direct-to-consumer advertising of prescription drugs is permitted by law in these two markets. Rest of the world, you cannot advertise uh, uh, prescription drugs in a consumer media, right? So for both the cohorts, we built a proof of concept. First cohort, US as our launch market. Second cohort, India is our launch market, which was representing rest of the world for us. Right? And we spent 12 months in making it work. Now that we know it works, we are ready to scale it up across the globe. That's really interesting. So you're able to bifurcate based on the regulatory frameworks. Uh, it's lucky that it came out that way because you know that you very rarely will find a binary choice that allows you to represent, you know, sort of split the whole world down down the middle there. And and again, I think that your previous experience of mixing those two industries probably made all the difference there. You were just able to to derive the problem down into, you know, that that nature and to launch in two places. You're right. You would need a whole lot of human capital, a lot of probably money and runway. Uh, did you raise ahead of the idea or did you bootstrap and self-fund or what was the structure of the company? So I, I bootstrapped it initially, but as we started reaching out to partners, people kind of started coming in to offer support. Right? So we got early investors from the advertising, technology, uh, and pharmaceutical industry to support in the idea. And uh, that's the capital we raised, but I know the business would become profitable soon. So in less than 12 months, we made the India market profitable and US business is already on the way to become profitable probably in next two months or so, right? So within 12 months of launch, we can make any market profitable. And that's the reason we have been deferring our large rounds because I didn't want it to build the business on venture capital's money. Right. I wanted to build the business which can make money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, and people will tell me over and over and over again, you know, revenue is the, the cheapest form of capital, right? So of Correct. course you want to run that way. And if you can have some at the bottom line, absolutely. That's a nice business to be a part of, you know, after the fact. And you talked about those like initial investments it sounds like coming from partner constituents are these folks that paid ahead for functionality 
from the customer side or or actually joined you know sort of on the cap table type of thing so they joined on the on the cap table they put in okay. uh, their monies to help us build the platform i sometimes i i hear enterprise you know sort of software vendors can get customers to pay ahead for a feature that they want and effectively go ahead and finance the build out of part of that that product as a as a first adopter or as sort of a, as a guiding customer force i wondered if you took advantage of that at all in in the build out uh, not much so initially yes we got some capital as advance but not significant enough for us to kind of build that model out because see you can't approach an enterprise with an idea unless you have built out something no one can give you that kind of money that you need to build out the platform which is ready to test it can only support in some probably working capital but not in terms of the platform development or the base uh, capital that you need let me shift gears and ask about you know your leadership style the the values or the the core you know sort of passions that drive the company how do you distill those and bring that to the leadership team how do you really manage and, and integrate you know as a, a ceo those leadership lessons are, are really important for early stage founders see my my leadership style is more empowering i believe in empowering people so get the right people on the job and move out of their way right that's the mantra i have been following because if you get the right person on the job and you still kind of keep on intervening you're not letting him perform right and and as a startup because the vision is so far there is so much that needs to be done so you need to step out of those things as soon as you get the right people on the job right so empowerment is i feel my leadership style and and the values is i believe in simplicity idea and innovation right i and uh, i'm kind of popular uh, uh, in the organization to try to make everything simple right and people think why why simple uh, if it is innovative it has to be complicated no right that's not true because unless you can narrate your idea in a single line it is not an idea to me you are not clear about the idea if you can narrate in a single line it is simple it is an idea and it is solving a real problem that's what i believe in and that's my my job i think to bring simplicity in everything that we do you probably have an innovative team that brings you a lot of ideas or a lot of places that you could go on the product roadmap and you know many many possibilities as the integrator and leader who wants to make things simple how how do you integrate all those ideas uh, they come from customers they come from internal uh, you have thousands of potential places that you could take your product set how do you put guardrails on innovation that way so ideas come from from everywhere right and ideas come in every day from from our people from from partners from customers everywhere i think the the way we uh, define or simplify an idea and see if it can go into a road map or not is always to develop a business case for the idea and and the business case is not just about earning monies it's not just about performance it's also about progress 
and i believe progress it's never progress or performance right it has to be progress and performance because if you're just focusing on progress progress and progress and not making any money business can't succeed or if you're just making focusing on performance performance and performance and trying to get margin bottom line etc and not progressing then also business can't sustain so it's only when any idea can focus on both progress and performance together that's the right way to move forward yeah i love that i i i wanted to ask you uh, i know just from our our pre call discussions and such that due to to covid uh you're in india in delhi and you are running your company i know that it's it's nighttime right now so you're staying up all night and you don't know when you can return to home in, in the us and how has that impacted your you know leadership or you know so the running of the company i i suspect that you're fully remote and that you know your company is is enabled to do all the things that it does anyway but that's certainly not something you planned for you know when you traveled so how uh, tell the story a little bit of that that disruption and how you managed it i think i i try to as a person i try to find opportunities in every problem right and and with that attitude like while i was kind of stuck in india not able to go back because of the covid and the flight situation i think i could manage to use my time to develop india as our center of excellence for engineering and product right we we managed to kind of ramp up our team from 10 people to 70 people now right and and developed close relationships with all the team members that on that came on board doing working sessions with them ideation sessions with them and it kind of really helped a lot in doing that number one number two is since i was away from one of our key markets us i could empower the local leadership team there even more right and they're happy i'm away from them now so they can live their life peacefully right, right. <laughs> So if I interview them they're going to say this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. So we'll put on your I'd love to do this at the end of each of our talks. May put on your futurist hat for for your industry, for your your company. What's exciting? What's coming next? You know, in and, and what should everybody out there be paying attention to, you know, from from your perspective? you know in in your industry and in your sort of leadership position what we have been trying to do is to bring transparency to the black box right till a year ago a marketer didn't know what is he getting from the monies that he is putting in into a brand marketing or advertising initiative now as of now we have managed to make it transparent as in we show you're putting in 100000 you got 500 scripts as a result of this campaign that you just ran right and hence this demonstrates an roi of 5 is to 1 right that was step 1 but now as we get more and more data into the system apart from just improving the efficiencies and effectiveness of what they're trying to do we are also trying to understand a true physician why does he prescribes what he prescribes right as a physician myself i ask this question many a times that why am i prescribing this particular drug to this patient 
and it is actually one of the most difficult things to tell because any other product marketing campaigns you're actually taking decisions for yourself but pharmaceutical category especially marketing to doctors is unique in which you are doing a campaign so that a doctor a physician can take a decision for his patient right and it is a very different kind of a relationship some physicians think rationally some physicians think commercially some physicians think emotionally right there are different motivations for different types of people to take their decisions for someone else right and that's what we're trying to understand more and more through the data that is flowing into the system and i believe the, the future of physician marketing or any marketing is data right i think it is it is same everywhere but we are trying to move beyond the conversation and making it happen because in this category that hasn't happened so far anywhere in the world that's really interesting yeah i have a little bit of experience in my my background with the pharmaceutical sales rep model and people going into offices and showing you know and giving pens and showing supporting materials and you know buying dinners and the whole thing and i mean it's just all turned over on its head in the last 20 years and it's, it's a fascinating space and you know everybody I, I as you know in the states everybody will watch these commercials and just get drug after drug after drug pitched at them remarkably confusing i can't imagine what it's like to have to actually figure this out based on reading you know medical literature um, and things of that nature any closing thoughts for the the founders out there maybe coming out of industry putting together ideas you know what would you impart onto the the founder who is just about there and listening to this and thinking maybe it's my time the only message i have is follow your passion follow your dream because if you do that you will only be successful right i have seen and it will be a difficult journey it won't be a cake walk if you leave it in between you won't get there but if you follow the passion and really believe in yourself i can tell with 100% confidence you will always 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 be successful what do you think about building networks is it is it that important that people will meet and sort of engage mentors and partners and all those things i hear that a lot from successful founders so building networks so i i think it's it's important right and personally i like meeting people a lot because i believe the more you meet people the more ideas you exchange the more point of views you hear and you're able to even consolidate the idea that you have in your head even more right there are point of views on if you build network you can reach out to the people for commercial purposes to open the doors etc etc uh, that also happens but i i believe again in the power of people like one brain thinking versus 10 brain thinking at the same time right and if again it's the power of idea you believe in the idea no one can stop you i love that i love that that's a great finish harshit if anybody wants to get in touch with you what's the best way to do that yeah, i think uh, log on through our website www.docare.com and reach out to me through the support 
or ping me on uh, on my LinkedIn profile and send me a message. Well, we'll be tagging you and uh, sending all the stuff out there as well. So really appreciate you uh, sticking around with us into the middle of the night and, and sitting down and doing this. It's been a lot of fun. And thank you so much for the insights. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you again for inviting me to the session. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.